Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Abel James is the fat-burning man. Abel is a New York Times best-selling author, musician, and prolific online content creator. His award-winning podcast, The Fat-Burning Man Show, is rated as the top Apple Health podcast in eight countries, with over 50 million downloads and over 2,000 five-star reviews. Wow. He's written two books, including the bestseller, The Wild Diet, and Designer Babies Still Get Scabies. That's hilarious. Abel has been called the coach to the coaches and has been one of the most influent- named one of the most influential people in health and fitness by greatest three years in a row. He has been featured on many major networks, including starring as the number one fat loss coach on ABC's My Diet is Better Than Yours. His app, Caveman Feast, beat out the Food Network and Martha Stewart for five-star reviews. He lives with his wife, Allison, and their energetic dog in the mountains of Colorado. And as we've said many times on this show, Colorado is amazing. It's the best side of the Rocky Mountains. Everybody should move there. There's nothing to see here in Utah. Don't need to worry about us here. We're doing just fine on our own. Go to Colorado. (laughs) Abel James, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And I got to say, to be honest, Utah is one of our favorite states. I'm going to cut this. I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> Man, we're, we're getting... Although pretty hot. Too hot this time of year. It is very hot. So really escape it. It's weird. Like, you'd have to go up to 14,000 feet with these heat waves. But uh, yeah, sometimes, especially Moab, is looking a little hot recently. Yeah, definitely. Dude, we hit, we hit in... June, a week before the solstice, we hit 107 in Salt Lake City, like insanely hot this year. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, don't come to Utah. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Don't come here. (laughs) Dude, I have to say, I have followed your work for a really long time. Um, I first was introduced to you on the Rewild Yourself podcast, if you remember, with Daniel Vitalis. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was a great podcast. One of the first ones that I ever like really fell in love with and was introduced to a lot of health concepts. And it's interesting to go back and listen to that show and listen to the things you were talking about. And you had gotten a lot of things right, even back then. I mean, that was five or six years ago. Pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah, it's cool to hear that. I don't know, because I'm just living day to day. It's it's hard. Honestly, it's hard to listen to myself and certainly watch myself. That, that's, the <laughs> that's that's the worst part about this is hearing my own voice. I absolutely hate it. So I can totally, right. totally relate with that. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, Fat Burning Man. How does one earn the title of the Fat Burning Man? Yeah, it is a silly play on words, but uh, about 12 years ago, long story short, I came home one night and lost everything in an apartment fire. And I had been doing my best and working hard to be very healthy at the time. I was in my early 20s. I had just had a great job with awesome insurance for the first time in my life. And I was taking advantage of it and following that doctor's advice. But I had put on, you know, 30 plus pounds. My thyroid was struggling. My biomarkers were getting, excuse me, worse and worse. And when I, you know, lost everything, uh, my life was out of control. I, I just realized that I kind of needed a project to, to lift me out of that. And looking at myself in the mirror, I didn't, I didn't really recognize the 40 middle-aged man that I saw with like the fat face and just retaining water and overweight. And I I felt like I was a middle-aged man too. And, uh, that was despite running 20, 30 miles a week, trying to avoid red meat and eat low cholesterol and all these other things, working really hard at it. And, uh, so after making that project, I, (laughs) I learned pretty quickly that I was doing the wrong thing so hard that it was making me fat and sick faster than the people around me who were going to happy hour and kicking back and whatever. And once I realigned with, with solid principles and kept putting in the work, except with effective strategies, including intermittent fasting, not being afraid of, of red meat, especially pasture raised and whole foods and that sort of thing. I got the results that I wanted, like single digit body fat, uh, within just a few months. And it made me mad enough to start up a blog and then a podcast and just kind of keep doing this for 10 plus years now, which is really incredible. Wow. That's crazy. So how did you come across that advice? Because that was, I mean, fairly early on, not a lot of people were talking about, you know, eating in that certain way. Where did you come across that information? It was really a combination. So actually, when I was following my doctor's advice, that was a divergence from what I had done before that, where my mom is a holistic nurse practitioner and herbalist and and became such because uh, when I was an infant, I and my younger brother 
also. Both got really ill, and we were pumped full of all sorts of antibiotics from Western medicine. And to this day, we're still allergic to a lot of these things. So we were used to the we grew up in, in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, and you know, I, I did mountain biking for a while and was eating macrobiotic. And you know, I had met a few people who had crazy body compositions over the years. And I'm just like, how are some people totally dialed in, you know, like Rocky three or whatever it was when he's like totally shredded compared to the first one. Love it. And it's like, why are some people 60, 70 years old and still doing sprints and still carrying a lot of muscle and, and able to move their bodies. And so anyway, just kind of looking at all these different case studies was really interesting to me. And the, it, it was really kind of these PDFs that I found and weird underground bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding forums. And I, I just took a deep dive and started experimenting on myself. I'm like, what would happen and instead of slogging for 30 miles a week, let's say, and running that? What if I switched to doing some heavy lifts and sprinting and then seeing what happens? What if I try intermittent fasting? And I, I tried a whole bunch of things over those next few months, but really it was the combination of intermittent fasting, eating healthy fats again, which I think helped regulate some of my hormonal imbalances, getting rid of the pharmaceuticals that were likely getting in the way. And uh, then also just focusing on good old fashioned stuff, because I thought for a while there that if I got the best doctor out there and paid the most money for it, um, that I would be getting the best advice to follow. And that clearly was not true. And so starting to dabble in the fringes was was very fruitful for me, especially being in my early 20s. My body snapped back to being athletic and and getting back to a good body composition pretty, pretty quickly, quickly enough to really make me mad about it. Wow. It's so interesting. You made such a great point there where you're talking about the people that are honestly like trying to follow the standard advice the most, they end up looking the worst and feeling the worst. And you can see like round after round of trying to lose weight or get healthy, it really backfires. It's really a bummer for people. It's a huge bummer, but it takes to come over to the other side. It takes, you know, doing something that many of our doctors have told us over the years, over many decades, will stop our hearts or kill us. And it's it's really bizarre. And if you take the eagle eye view and just look around 80, 90% of people carrying extra weight, many of them morbidly obese at this point, children included, clearly we're not doing things the right way. And you know that honestly, the, those doctors who were giving me that advice were carrying 50 extra pounds probably themselves. And there are a number of reasons for that. And it's worth looking into. And it, it, the things that you get also from the running magazines, a big problem for me was the carb loading. You know, I was, mm. I was hungry all the time. I was reliant on carbs, I think, because I was running quite a lot. And it was, it was one of those things where I was always having to burn up my willpower to get through the day and not eat something terrible. Whereas now, especially with the practice of intermittent fasting, which I started about 10 years ago doing a, a 16-8 style fast for the most part, and then moving more toward like a one meal per day, but it's more like one and a half because I'll start in the afternoon. Or I might even start having calories with, uh, with coffee or tea or a bone broth, something like that around noon, especially if it's a day where I just feel like I need some extra energy. So being more intuitive and combining the real food world with uh, the, the solid principles from exercise physiology and from weird bodybuilding circles, people who understand body composition, understand nutrient partitioning, and they understand that just cutting calories in general doesn't work. I mean, it kind of works sometimes temporarily, but there are, you have to go a little bit deeper, do some more education, and then you can really dial in some knobs and it, and it gets exciting. If you're willing to put in the work, if yeah. you're not, then nothing really will get you there. Yeah, that's right. No, I worked a metabolic cart for uh, over a decade and you could just see it. Like if you did a lot of cardio and you were calorie deprived, I know I can, I can just look and see and guess what your metabolic rate is going to be. You're going to teach yeah. yourself to burn less calories. It really sucks. And if you're looking at also the carbon dioxide and the oxygen that you're exchanging in the body, you're burning primarily carbohydrates. You're not burning fat right. at all, which is right. the primary goal for most people. Huh. Yeah. And then the style of training too, where uh, as a someone who was a runner for most of my life, 
and did other sports like mountain biking where it's not advantageous to carry extra weight, you know, like being too top heavy or, or whatever. I was uh, really against lifting for a while, moving weight around in general, or even, you know, sprints weren't really, I would do tempo runs kind of, but I wouldn't do all out to, to almost failure, just like gassed out uh, sprints like I do now with solid recovery in the middle was also something I didn't do. It was more just like, Oh, the more you grind in that middle zone, the better off you are and the more cardio you're going to get, but you're burning off muscle, you're depleting nutrients. And I didn't understand, uh, magnesium electrolytes and a lot of the other factors at play. But once, especially I started the intermittent fasting and, and that got that gear of not eating food, I, I was able to do, uh, my workouts fasted as well. And then learn more about how to do a proper refuel and what happens when you don't eat enough, uh, you know, and you really need a refuel, which is also a big problem for some people that, that doesn't get talked enough about enough, I think these days, but that's, that's something that I definitely had to work out and, and it's fun, you know, I, I, it's worth people finding that balance where it's not just, oh, it's a diet and, and exercise versus nutrition and dieting. They're not separate things and they shouldn't be separate things. They need to be very strategically tied together over the course of your life. And if it's not, then something's going to go out of balance. I love that. And I love that you bring fun into it. Uh, that's one of my questions I was going to ask you is like, does health make you be a happier person? Is it vice versa? It always seems that the people that are the healthiest are also the happiest, the most optimistic. They're the most willing to share of their time and resources. Is that something you notice? Yeah, definitely. It makes your brain work better. Your blood is flowing. You, you know, you know how to get into the rhythm and, and, and the flow is is just kind of like a regular thing. And if you don't engage those, those muscles and you don't get your brain oxygenated, then you just don't feel as good. You don't get those endorphins. Another thing that I actually don't bring up that often, but it is a reason why I do strength training and have for many years is the, the times that I haven't, I get really, but my back is kind of messed up. I played football for a short time and I was way too small and got crushed. And oh, I was no. at the bottom <laughs> of a pig pile. And I just remember my, my shoulder and kind of the spine, like doing this weird pop thing. And ever since it's just been a little, a little off. And if I don't train my back and keep my back strong, or if I overtrain the front and start hunching, especially playing a lot of music and, and bending over, playing the piano, things like that. Uh, if I don't train my back, I get really jacked up and just feel terrible. So, uh, whereas if I, I remember also just not doing burpees for a while and I started doing it again about six months ago and I'm like, wow, there's, there's more spring in my step. Like I can actually feel that I've spent more time off the ground jumping, you know, after doing it for a few weeks, it's like, oh, interesting. And, and when I started playing piano and, and really practicing that, which I didn't do seriously till my thirties, I'm like, oh, my my hands got more dexterous, like from running scales really quickly with control and practicing that over and over again. It's like, I could actually feel like the difference in the speed. And like, I remember a jar dropping and I'm like, Shoop, and I just grabbed it. And I'm like, what? This is kind of cool. Like we really can train our nervous system to get better. And, and so if you're missing out on the big muscles, that that's definitely something to work on. But I think also something that's underappreciated is fine dexterity and whether you, you know, like we used to be shooting arrows now running scales on guitar and piano is kind of another way to do that. But I think having fine control over what your fingers and hands are doing is extremely good for your nervous system. And there's a lot of research to back that up. Wow. And I'm sure we are far less dexterous than some of our ancestors were. For sure. Wow. We can't crazy. even, have you watched someone like get out of their car recently? <laughs> you just go to the grocery store and you're watching people and it's like, man, we have not come a long way. It's what has been normalized is really imbalance. And uh, you go to third world countries and you see the opposite. A lot of people in their eighties, you know, who are spry and healthy, still doing the work because they've had to work their whole lives, like do real work, just like very likely our, our grandparents and grandparents great-grandparents did and pr probably every generation before that too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you brought that up. There is a difference between average and normal. And if you walk to the store and see what's going on, you would have a very different thought of what normal should be, but that's not normal. That's average. Normal is yeah. what you're describing, healthy, happy, aging, with health, working, working against resistance. Like that is so important. And I'm so glad also that you brought up with the strength training, working the backside, the posterior chain. And for the listener, 
Like that's so important. If you are sitting all day and you notice that your shoulders are slumping forward, your hips are tipping forward, like you need to do things where you're pulling objects towards you and deadlifting. I, I, there's so much value in that. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Great. You, we've been talking a little bit about fasting, which we love talking about. What were some of the surprising things that you learned along the way as you continued refining your fasting practice? I thought I would just lose muscle and probably lose weight too. And I gained muscle pretty like quicker than I thought and was able to build strength as well. And then I realized, oh, it's, it's really not, you don't have to be stuffing your face all day to get great results. Duh, like obviously, but it, it, it really took me experimenting with that to, um, to know that it was true. Cause when I was running marathons, I was down at like 148 pounds at my, at my lowest. And I walk around more at like 180 and I feel, I feel better at 180, much better, but you can, you can turn those dials and you can do different experiments and see how your body responds. It's also not good to carry too much muscle. Like I, I think there's another assumption that if, if you get really great at triathlons or marathons or cardio or really great at building tons of muscle, it's going to be better. But living out here, you know, in the mountains of Colorado and out in the West, especially dealing with elevation and going up steep grades, you learn pretty quick that you don't want to be too top heavy. You're going to be huffing and puffing, wasting so much energy. You have to eat so much. And so I think for a lot of people out there too, you have to ask early, like, why are you training? Is it longevity? And if it is, then carrying muscle is very important, but carrying too much muscle is not actually better and, and, and not that great long-term also because you do this for a long time like you and I have and you start to see people blow out their knees and have some serious back injuries or uh, or kidney problems from cutting weight too quickly or too often or dealing with drugs and things like that. And so you start to see the fallout of the more extreme practices. And so I think it's important that people realize that that the goal really should be balance and adaptation and and you're going to have to keep moving and, and adapting as time goes by and mostly as life throws you curveballs. Yeah. You mentioned the nutrition that I think is so important to not pass by a lot of the dudes that do have a lot of muscle. I notice a lot of digestive issues and it's like, you're, yeah. you have to by obligation, slam all of these calories down. That is not necessarily probably the best thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're just revving that high metabolically, then I would imagine the the implications for longevity would not be particularly good because you're just revving that high. And, and it, alternatively, if you're fasting, I see that as kind of doing the opposite. And we've seen lots of research saying that calories restriction generally is good for longevity, but not exactly. And you don't want to be old and weak. That's also very bad. And so I think it's more complicated than that. And it's once you look at the macros and how you partition those and where you put them, you know, pre or post workout or not, that that's where it gets a little more complicated. But once, once you get the hang of it, it's, and you know that you should be doing certain exercises to stay strong and hopefully stay fast and dexterous. And then you do the refuels after that, for the most part, it doesn't have to be super complicated, but I think understanding that it works in cycles more than a one time, you know, one size fits all top down type deal. It's much more about finding the balance between overfeeding, underfeeding, exercising a bunch, taking rest days and recoveries. And uh, there's a little more nuance to it, but it's fun to find that you can do it yourself and building that compass is something we all have to do. I love that. That's great. I think a lot of people out there would have the assumption that you can't build muscle and fast at the same time, and especially not fasted workouts. And I noticed right. the same thing. You absolutely can add lots of muscle and lose fat at the same time and work out in the fasted state. Can you explain the mechanisms of why that is? Well, if you try that all at once, I don't think it's going to work out all that well. It's more like you have to build up the capacity to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, my running workout now is six or seven miles, typically going from 8,000 feet, maybe up to nine or 10,000, really intense, doing some sprints in there, totally fasted, usually at, you know, three o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon. 
And if I tried that 10 years ago, I, even though I was training for marathons, I would have just died. No chance. That's not something. <laughs> yes. You d- don't do that if you're not trained to do that. Do it a little bit at a time, build up the capacity. So I think that's really what it is, uh, where challenge yourself to do your workouts with fewer or no calories, with, with no fuel beforehand. And chances are your performance will not be as good at the beginning. But over time, your performance starts to get better and better. And I think it's best if you're looking for performance to combine that with some fueled workouts where you have a sweet potato beforehand and it feels like rocket fuel. And all of a sudden you do start getting your, your personal best. And there's a difference between training in an underfed state and training in an overfed state. So if you're going for those big lifts and the, or, or, or monster workout, then it's good to have overfeeding around that to get those personal bests and really challenge your performance. But I think a piece of training that's really underrated is, you know, I do those hard runs more training for survival because when things go sideways, you are not well slept, you are not well fed, and you don't have time to really think about it or do anything. You're, you're in trouble, right? And so, uh, I think it's important to train for things to be hard sometimes and engage that. And then every, you know, once a week or depending on your training goals, maybe less often, just go for that during vacation. For example, I like to do heavy lifts or big runs and big adventures and sprints and treat that as a, as a good excuse to use your overabundance of energy to try to hit some personal goals, go on adventures, personal best, that sort of thing. I love that. That's great. I think part of being the fat burning man is burning the fat that you have endogenously in your body already. Um, There are some times that we fast. There's also times that we eat and there are certain things we need to be eating. And you came up with a wild diet. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So rooted in nature is, is that's where all of this comes from. We should be eating uh, in a way that honors natural processes and and systems and see the body and in fact, see the world as an ecosystem, not as these independent parts and these rabbit holes that are all separate from each other. So using the word natural, that has been, that's just useless now. It's been totally abused. Whereas wild, I felt like was less likely to be abused by marketers and also represents a little bit of going against the grain, something that uh, you know, an, an act of slight rebellion or, or doing things your own way as opposed to just the, following the general advice. So it's a nice little nook for our community to live in where we can all agree that like we're trying to eat from nature and people get each other's backs in the community and they kind of can agree about where we're coming from. Whereas a lot of dietary you know, dogmas out there and diet books and, and all of that is just kind of like slapping a name on something. And then you do this and it's this many carbs and that sort of thing. And it's, it's really important more to see food as a, a critical thing that deserves honor and respect as part of our lives. And, and, and there's meaning attached to that and, and all that, which goes deeper and deeper, the, the more you go into our work in our community. But I think the whole point is, when you can build that compass of eating from nature in a way where you're eating whole foods that we've eaten for a long time, then you're going to be doing better from a health perspective. Now, that means also doing a bit of education around what we shouldn't be eating. And, you know, you look at typical meals in America and 50, 60% of the calories are coming straight from processed corn and industrial oils and all this garbage. So once you know what to avoid, you know, industrial vegetable oils and seed oils and newfangled foods, high glycemic carbs that are overly processed and that sort of thing. Uh, once you start avoiding those things, you see some, some serious results and then it becomes like, well, how do you feed your, your hunger? How do you satisfy your hunger? And I try to educate most people to build their meals around protein as a way to fill you up. And as a way, that's a box that you want to check. We actually are, are metabolism later in life or how we handle protein gets worse and worse. So bumping up those numbers, in fact, as we age, oddly enough, can help a lot of people. And, you know, more and more, especially as I've been doing this for about a decade, meat and and cows in particular get a lot of hate. They're the, the scapegoat of everything, ruining the world and all these cow farts and burps and we need to get rid of them. And it's such a crazy conversation to have to begin with. But the nutritional piece of all this, if you look at the way that protein works in the body and whether you're sourcing it from plants 
or animals telling people to eat less meat when, you know, 80 plus percent of Americans are overweight and a lot of the world is struggling to fulfill their nutritional needs for protein and calories is a really dangerous conversation and a total just sideshow more than anything else. So it's important to remind people that if you want to get control of your body composition and and keep your muscle, build muscle and lose fat, it's really all about protein. And then fat and carbs are kind of scalable. Use the fat Traditional fats, you know, from healthy animals raised on pasture, eggs, um, tallows, and butter can be really great. Coconut oil, avocado, those types of traditional fats and, and nuts and that sort of thing. And then the carbs, you can eat some grains, but if you do, try to do it the traditional way where they've been soaked, sprouted, uh, and fermented in, in like sourdough bread, for example. And try to stay away from the stuff that looks like bread but it's full of just half preservatives and all these things that you don't recognize. Because once that gets into your body, it jacks you up. And and I am particularly sensitive to, I have all sorts of allergies, so I need to be really close to, to what I'm eating. And it's not a problem as long as I just pick the right foods. We cook mostly at home and, and spend a lot of time on prep. And for as long as we've been doing this, my, my wife and I and our families, we've we've been able to maintain our body compositions and reach certain goals that we've wanted to without really having to worry about gaining excess weight or giving up a lot of the foods that we love because we've been able to eat pretty much everything from breads to pizzas to making our own ice cream and donuts and brownies. Like that's part of the fun of it for us. And when you make it with real food, you can, you know, have a an amazing amount of fun with delicious food and hit your macros too at the same time and, and be able to really achieve things that the, the me a few years ago would have never thought possible. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting. The conversation about cows, you're right. That message is getting shoved down everybody's throats and nobody stops to question it or even just use logic. Like, where do you think soil comes from? Like how, how are these cows killing the environment? They're, they're building up soil. We need more of them, not less. And that's where we get our best nutrition. Yes. And you can't, you can't approach growing food as just an input output thing machine where you have one crop and it takes up the whole, all of the land. If you do that, you're reliant on external inputs and external outputs that are usually in the form of pollution and and a great deal of it that destroys environments, you know? And, And so if you're talking about corn or soy or all of these vegetarian and vegan friendly foods that are supposedly saving the environment, look at all the animals they're killing. Look at all the rivers they have polluted Look at all of the plundering that they're doing right now with government subsidies. Wow. You know, once again, 80 plus percent of us are overweight because of eating these foods, because these foods are subsidized. And, and, you know, factory farmed meats and industrial meat agriculture is also terribly mismanaged. And so that's not the solution to feed the world either. But going back to farms as ecosystems. Like you said, the poop is fertilizer. And anyone who, uh, my brother is a, is a farmer in upstate New York. And anyone who runs a farm or tries to grow food knows that you need good soil to do so. And so even the vegans out there who are growing things or, or the ones who are raising food for uh, vegans are getting a heck of a lot of blood meal and all sorts of weird animal-based products or oil petrol- petroleum-based products and fertilizer, which are terrible for the environment and and yada, yada, yada. So anyway, the conversation cannot be – it can't keep going at this superficial level where you're bad if you eat meat and meat is bad for you because – We've been eating meat forever. Protein is extremely important. And the protein quality that you get from non-meats and plants is just not quite there. You can do it seasonally. I think it's great to take breaks from meats, to take breaks from certain foods as, that are that are vegetables as well, maybe even all vegetables for some people. But the idea that we should just eliminate an entire food group and that's going to save the world is really ridiculously absurd. Very destructive, yeah. You mentioned something else. I wonder if you come across this quite a bit. I mean, this, this came across yesterday in a consultation that I did where um, – This person, 31 years old, she wanted to start eating healthy, but she doesn't know how to cook. The skills in the kitchen, 
they're going away. It's really hard to help people eat right when they don't even know basic knife skills or how to cook your food. And you mentioned cooking with your wife, which I think is amazing. We do the same thing here. Is that something you notice with this generation? Yeah, definitely. And it's not the only skill that we've lost. It's just like most of the important survival skills have been lost or are being lost. But the good news is that you can learn to cook in in a weekend. (laughs) You know, you can learn to scramble eggs pretty quickly. And the, you know, people really have a lot of baggage when it comes to cooking. And, And, you know, saying that you don't know how to cook is kind of saying like you, you don't know how to dance or you don't know how to sing. It's it, it's kind of on you. Right? Like we all can sing, we all can dance, we all can cook too. It, it's it's taking food and then heating it up essentially. And whether you do that in a in a microwave, which I don't really recommend, or if you do it on some stovetop or you know, we cooked for years and lived out of RVs with with gas, we've tried electric, we've tried all sorts of different ways of doing it. Each brings its own challenges living out here out west all of our recipes are ruined because cooking at elevation is a totally different deal especially you know when it's five to eight percent humidity so you have to account for those bizarre things too when you're traveling around and it's part of the fun i think and it's part of the alchemy and if you don't have that skill of being able to you know i i like to come at this from camping because i i just grew up you kind of in a rural environment and and still live in one and it just makes things very real when you've been hiking all day and you you come around a fire at the end of it and you cook something up together in a very primitive way and i stand by it the best food i have ever tasted in my life was a dehydrated bean burrito after we'd been out on the trail for you know like a week or so and it was just salty and it was over the fire and smoky and we had been so deprived for so long that that was just exactly what we needed so i think you know anyone can rehydrate a dehydrated bean burrito anyone can scramble some eggs and it's and it's on you for for yourself and for your family, uh, your family's health to be able to know how to do that because it's, it's worth it. You're going to save so much money. And if you are able to recalibrate early, like now, instead of going to, you know, Taco Bell when you're hungry and going to these other places that you know will make you sicker and, and fatter, you can uh, make something that tastes great. Like make last night, Allison, my wife made um, super protein, heavy uh, chocolate, cocoa brownies with cherries in them. And it was just like the most delicious thing ever. And since we know what we put in it, we know the macros too. And we got the sweetness from the right place and not too much of it. We got collagen protein in there that doesn't taste like collagen bone broth, but like definitely is in there and you're getting the protein from it. So it's filling and it doesn't make, and it's just, you know, people who aren't doing this with their families, with their kids, with their wife or whatever, are, are missing out. Not that you have to do it every single day. We eat, you know, frozen pizzas sometimes too. You know, there's convenience is something that should be the exception though. And anyone who's complaining about how much food costs needs to look at their like out of the home budget first. Try diverting some of that money that you're wasting into bolstering your uh, your grocery purchases and and make them more fun and try to upgrade the the quality a little bit for a few extra bucks you can really have a lot of fun with delicious things that are now super health conscious that that really align with our way of seeing nutrition which was not the case 5 or 10 years ago you couldn't go out and get a frozen pizza that that hits our macros and doesn't have a bunch of junk in it you couldn't get ice cream like that either or or cheeses weren't quite as fun or or available and so there were a lot of this there's a, a renaissance of health food nuts and there's a lot of fun to be had over on that side but you just have to take the plunge and and realize that it's your responsibility no one's going to do it for you yeah i just i've always really appreciated that about- about you and your content is you do make it fun. You do appreciate the process. It's not about arriving anywhere. It's about just learn a little bit more. It's like a yet mentality. It's like, I don't know how to cook yet, but I could spend 30 minutes on YouTube every single day for a week, right. like you said, a weekend, and you'll pick up some skills. And you're right, like your whole entire like palate changes, like just a simple steak with salt or you know, those, those really easy foods, they taste so good. And the things that taste normal to you now, eventually, they're going to taste so sweet. They'd be disgusting. You won't even like them anymore. Yeah. Resetting the palate is, is huge. And also being able to appreciate bitters and the slight sweetness that, that vegetables have that you could just never, you never even thought about it before. 
But I think having heightening your sensitivity and, and having a better palate that's able to perceive more is an obvious benefit. And also, I think, really helps with cravings. I think one of the reasons people have ridiculous cravings is just because your palate is shot. You don't even know what you want anymore. Yeah, that's a really good point. If you need a really good tool, you have come up with one called Caveman Feast. That app is amazing. Well worth the three bucks, was it, that I paid for it? Like yeah. those recipes look amazing. They look really simple. It's really, you put some really cool tools into that, dude. Like it's really easy to create meal plans and, um, you know, create your favorites list and shopping list and things like that. When did that start to become an idea of something you wanted to do? Yeah, we've had fun with apps for many years now, but seven or eight years. And we've had terrible experiences with making apps too. It can be very expensive and frustrating too. But uh, but yeah, the, the original Caveman Feast was a collaboration with my friend George Bryant, who just, another one of those people who caught the health bug and got really into cooking. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's a lot of fun to get into making recipes with and for your friends. I still, to this day, make his banana bread all the time. My wife does as well. And, uh, and now we have also some, some apps. We do a monthly challenge called the Wild Challenge, and we have meal plans and recipes built into that too. And so there are so many different ways of going about this. And, and what we try to do is take away the excuses, right? Because <laughs> if you have hundreds of delicious real food recipes that are pretty simple to make in your pocket for like three bucks on Apple and Android. It's pretty hard to say, oh, well, I don't know what to get. It's, the shopping list is right there. All right. Like the meal plans are <laughs> right there. And so uh, when people find that they do have that available and it's it's more convenient to know what you, what you need to make those brownies so that on a whim that weekend, you can whip them up and you have the skills to be able to do that after just trying making a, a few of them. And the cool thing about this, this style of recipe is we are not trained cooks. We haven't gone to, you know, culinary school or anything like that. It's quick and dirty, but also very simple. And cooking should be something that's really accessible to people. We want it to be simple. We don't like to me, you yes, you can enjoy your time in the kitchen, but I kind of want to get in there and then make something and then get out. Like I don't want to hang out in there all day. I, I don't really have time and most other people don't either. So being able to put together something quick and satisfying is really important. And we want to show people that it's relatively easy to do that. And, and making desserts is a pretty easy way to start too, because you realize that you don't need all those junk ingredients to get there and, and to get great flavor. Yeah, that's amazing. I cannot agree more with the cooking thing. I used to think that I love to shop. I love to prep. I love to cook extravagant meals, lots of ingredients, super fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy going to the, stu the, the, the store a few days a week. Uh, no, I don't. I like to ride my bike. <laughs> I like to paddleboard. I want to go walk right. around my lake. Like, and, and what you said about the budget, it's so true. We spend a few bucks a day, maybe on our meals and they're delicious and they yeah. don't take much time and they're really simple. And the avocado stuffed burger is definitely on my menu, uh, maybe oh, yeah. for tonight on there. What oh, are your, yeah. what are some of your, home. oh man, it looks so good. What are some of your favorite recipes from the app? Yeah, I would say the, the banana bread is right up there. Those stuffed like guacamole avocado burgers are out of hand. We also, we like making cowboy burgers a lot and we'll do that in different ways, but that's kind of just like a catch all term where we'll, we'll slice up some bacon, maybe some onions and throw it in with the burger meat. And, and another great strategy to eat nose to tail, uh, with the more, like if you're going to spend the time stuffing a burger with guacamole, you could focus on trying to make it taste the absolute best with the best quality meat, which we definitely do. You could also, since you're spending more time in there and kind of hyping it up a little bit with these other flavors, use one of those uh, ground meat blends that you can now order pretty pretty readily where it's like 80% um, muscle meats, but then the other 20% organ meats, which on their own can be pretty intense for most newbies to this way of eating. But when you have it ground in there, especially with some, some flavor from the cowboy burgers or some bacon, you know, in there as well, and, and some, some nice condiments, then a lot of times you can't really detect the fact that you're eating an incredible amount of vitamin B12 and iron and all these other super nutrients that are snuck into your hamburger. You know, it's kind of cool when, when, yeah. So when you start to bump up the nutrition in these recipes, you can have a lot of fun. And then another one, red velvet cupcakes. My mom taught me how to make 
those instead of with all these dyes and and weird things with beets as as kind of the uh, the thing that colors it slightly red. And it doesn't look the same, but uh, it does have like this amazing and interesting flavor and can be a little earthy, but in a good way. Uh, and, and so sneaking like sweet potatoes into brownies and, and grinding up dates uh, at, with something that's like a non-flour that cooks up into a cookie or a bread like a, like a flour. It's just a, it's a lot of fun to do those experiments. And most of the recipes will operate like that. That's amazing. That sounds so good. <laughs> that sounds really, really good. <laughs> I am going through the process of cleaning stuff out of my house. We just accumulate a massive amount of things that you just don't need. And I, 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 I'm going through all my stuff, like important documents that I think are important, and I haven't looked at them in years, and I don't need them. And I'm making individual decisions on some of these things. I mean, on my countertop, I have a, a, a holder for six espresso cups and six little plates I haven't had an espresso machine in 10 years. What the hell is this thing still doing here? And it's interesting that I get to go through and make decisions on that stuff. And you went through the experience, which you already mentioned, of everything wiped out. You had no choice in the matter. All your stuff is gone. I really want to talk about what that experience was like and what you learned from that. Yeah, it was bizarre because you realize as much as you don't want to think this is true. Your identity is really tied up in your stuff. But even more than that, your identity is tied up in the life that you've set up for yourself and all the things that you use that are around you. And for me, it's like I had a bunch of gigs booked as a musician. I had uh, a number of saxophones that all got destroyed. I had seven guitars all destroyed. The album I was working on all destroyed. And, and I needed a PA system to play my gigs and uh and all of the books, like the things that, that really hurt the most were the books that I lost. It was like this little library that I'd uh, collected over the years with, with my professors from college who just gave me a book and signed it at the front or wrote a little note and, and all these pictures. And, and of course, the original music I was working on, where it's just I still have this recurring dream that I wrote like the best song ever and can't remember it because it's gone. And uh, so, so that was – it was very bizarre. But what it allowed me to do was – you go through this process of of shedding everything extra and not feeling attached to it on a, on a somewhat regular basis. So about five years after that, in the time between, I had bought a house and you know furnished it, and put stuff in there, and then you know pretty much donated everything. And then my wife and I, for years, lived out of a fifth wheel trailer RV and just had very little stuff, and it was. It was fantastic until it wasn't. And then like facilitating back or just like bouncing back and forth between these different ways of living is, is especially in the past year and a half as everyone, you know, honkers down and orders more stuff is a really weird way <laughs> to live and, and certainly unprecedented. And even the minimalists are hauling around a lot of stuff. And I think the reality is as much as minimalism, I think, is a, is a great stage for most people to go through and, and kind of understand and, and play with a little bit. Uh, we, we live in a, a weird culture where you kind of have to have your own back and you have to be prepared in case things go awry. And that requires stuff and that requires space and money and overhead and, and all of that. So the answer being minimalism, I do think it's a little overhyped sometimes because uh, in our experience, when things go sideways and you really need something, it's nice to be set up and have a garden or have a rack full of, of canned veggies. Or, you know, when we were locked down, we don't go to the grocery store more than once or twice a month anyway. So uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. But if you're living on a really minimalist budget and, and you don't have any stuff around, then all of a sudden that becomes a lot more difficult. So I think it is a balance of those things. But the non-attachment piece was really for me to lose those instruments. Like I had invested most of the money I ever made from music back into all of those instruments. And that was my life savings. Essentially. That's how I treated it. And I used those instruments, but they were pretty valuable. But even more than that, like when you put in hundreds of hours and they all have stories of, of traveling with me over overseas or all this stuff. And then just all of that's gone. It is it is a really weird but human experience because we never would have had all of these attachments before. We never would have had all of this stuff. And it's helped me appreciate 
now, and, and thankfully we've had the ability if we wanted to, to overbuy. And, and, and we have in some cases. And after the fire, I, I tried like once I had the ability to buying more guitars, like to get back to where I was, the problem was they had no intrinsic value to me. They, it, they had no meaning to me. Even the ones that were, that cost as much as a car meant less to me than the $200 piece of crap that I had carried around for years when I was a teenager. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think it helps you appreciate that everything is temporary and that the meaning that you get from things isn't, it, it never comes from throwing money at it. It always comes from putting in time and work, building a relationship with something, even if it's a piece of wood with strings on it. Like that's, that's the real stuff. And you have to put in the work and get your fingers dirty. Like even I remember looking when I got my, my piano keyboard before I like started really playing it and it meant nothing to me. And after playing it like daily for a couple of years, it's like, I hold that thing and it means something and it talks to me now, you know? I love that. That's very well explained. How did that experience and other challenges you've gone through help you during the, the, the pandemic? Difficult time of a lot of weirdness and a lot of fear and a lot of <laughs> unexperienced new stuff. How did that help prepare you for that moment? I love that question. Yeah, when you've just gotten beaten down and hit a few rock bottoms, the next one is easier to manage. And you, So for me, and I think for a lot of people, there were multiple strategies. 42% of Americans, I read, gained 30 pounds over the course of the past year. Uh, whereas some people put on muscle, got stronger, or in musician speak, jazz musicians talk about it as going into the woodshed where you, you lock yourself in a room with no ventilation and no windows, and then you just practice for hours and you work on your chops, you work on your skills, you work on your craft, and you take it seriously. So I, I went really deep into working hard on uh, you know doing lots of interviews and research for those and reading books and, and the whole health side of things, but also really going deep into uh, working on that craft, working on my own personal fitness, seeing the parallels between those two worlds. Tendinitis is the same, whether you get it from shredding scales or, or running too many miles. And so I, I really like going deep into kind of that internal war world if the external world is too crazy. And I think that's one of the things that taught me, you know, losing everything in a fire is fat burning man, the, the whole thing wouldn't have happened without that. I don't think that was, that was really the catalyst, but it forced me to focus, make that a, a project and a priority and then come out of it stronger by going inward instead of focusing on the fact that our insurance company denied that we had a policy because it burned in the fire and we couldn't prove it with the paperwork and going back and forth and, and all of these, like we, I couldn't get mail for a while because my uh, mailbox had had burned. And so I went to the post office and they wouldn't let me get a post office box to get mail because I didn't have a mailbox. And so I went, I had to go to three different post office places and, and wait in line for hours before eventually one of them told me that. And, and it, so it was just this whole thing where I could have really gone into a downward spiral and gotten fatter and sicker and, and hated myself and hated my life for how that worked out. But I was really fortunate. I was fortunate to be okay and that no one died. Some pets didn't make it, but no one died in that fire. And, uh, and then I was able to work on myself, kind of get smart about certain things and get honest about it, take responsibility, put in the work and see what the fruit of that is. And it's so worth it. So worth it to take those risks. And also I would say experiment on yourself a little bit. Don't take anyone's word for it. Like do the work and see how it turns out. I love that. That is so great. I love to see when people take a challenging situation and see it as an opportunity to refine themselves. And you clearly yeah. were not in the 40% that have gained 30 pounds. How did your workouts change? <laughs> How did your workouts change uh, during the pandemic or did they at all? Yeah, did they? They might've <laughs> changed a little bit, but I don't think it was because of the pandemic. You know, living out here in the mountains, it's not that you could ignore it, but you almost could, you know, from a, from a daily perspective, living in a rural place. And so me going up and running up the, the mountain once or twice a week is something I continued doing. Although I'm not doing that right now. I'm not running as much as I, I was. I focused more on, you know, even just like adapting to elevation. I remember a couple of years ago, I had to really reduce the amount that I was lifting and the amount of work that I was putting in. But I went through exactly the same motions 
you know, and, and maybe I'll use the example of I have gotten sick and, um, you know, like when you get something like the flu for a while, uh, you don't want to be doing heavy lifts and you don't want to be doing sprints and all that. And so when I come back from an injury or from, from being ill for a while, I try to go through the motions of exactly what I was doing before that I know works. And, and what that looks like is typically squats, which, um, you know, I'll, I'll hold some weight, but it's just, you know, nothing special, not giant weights all at home. I'll do some deadlifts, uh, and then I'll do some presses and pulls. And that's just like my main strength day. And that probably takes about 30 or 40 minutes, but most of that is rest. Most of that is recovery between sets. And then I'll just kind of sprinkle in some pull-ups, some dips, some push-ups, and and other things like that to keep my body and mind active throughout the day as little breaks, but nothing to even break a sweat. And then I'll have one workout a week that's more sprint-based or more you know intervals where I'm really getting after it. And usually that's hill sprints. Sometimes I'll do uh, burpees instead. Uh, but I usually don't do both the same week. Um, sometimes I do, but usually not. So anyway, it's, it's mostly been experimenting with seeing how I can refine what I'm already doing and add a little bit more to the volume. Um, because I don't have more weights here and that's the only way that I can really add more weight to my movement and accumulated like weight moved over the month is by putting in more reps. So I've been doing more sprinkled exercises during since we've been at home all the time. Whereas, you know, normally we'd be traveling a lot more. So it makes for me, it makes it easier, honestly, yeah. being at home because it doesn't disrupt the patterns that I know work so well. Wow. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's if you would have asked me a year and a half ago, if you could get really fit without a gym, I would have said, no, absolutely not. And that's mm-hmm. not true. You can walk around okay. your neighborhood, hang on a tree, use a park. Like there's so many ways that you can have a great fitness, um, you know, system, something to use that's really practical and, and usable air squats. Just do some squats in the air. That's yeah. so easy. That's great. And just try to spend time off the ground is one <laughs> piece of advice that I think I, that really is the way that I think about it. I broke my foot when I was around 30 years old. So, so years ago now, but I'm like, how do I stay in shape now? And I just realized I'd never really done handstand pushups. I wanted to learn how to do that. So I started just doing all these hangs and inversions and dips. And it's amazing. I mean, if you say that you can't get a workout with your own body, I mean, look at a kid at the jungle gym and try to do what he just did or she just did. And all of a sudden you'll realize that we are out of shape. And if you can build all those tiny little muscles that keep you from shaking, keep you nice and steady when you're above the ground, whether you're, uh, you know, hanging or doing dips or burpees are great too, because you're jumping and you're spending time in the air. I think it tells your body not to carry too much weight. I think that that is a cue that you want to be more of like a jumping monkey than, you know, a, a heavy laden gorilla of some kind. I love that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, when I do, you know, prep for these interviews, I'm consuming a ton of content and I stopped several years ago listening to music when I am doing hardly anything because I'm always listening to a book or a podcast, trying to learn and, you know, going to your content and re-listening to some of the old episodes you've done and reading about some of the things you've done. I came across your music and started listening to it in my little hammock up, um, by the park and took just maybe like a half hour of not consuming so much content and just listening to music, which I, I don't do very often. And I can't, I can't believe how restorative it is. And I, I don't know why I'm not a very musically inclined person, but boy, it, it just felt good to hear the songs you're playing and the instruments and just it, it the, the bluesy kind of, kind of rock, which I absolutely love. What is the importance of music? Why is that so important for us as humans generally? Well, it's a way of making sure we're not spending all of our time in the logical brain. When you listen to music, and especially when you play it, you go to this primitive part of the brain that kind of does it gets everything involved and that makes you want to dance, you know? And it's, it's not like you're thinking that you want to dance and then you start dancing usually. You just like start moving for some reason. And what is that? Uh, music is a, a primitive form of emotional communication. In, in my mind, it helps align your physiology with certain beats, rhythms, moods, and you can have a lot of fun with it just listening. And 
you don't have to listen to anything that you don't like, but I would encourage people to listen to, to different things, especially from different cultures with abnormal rhythms. And most of the music out there that's just given to you or thrown in, in front of your face is kind of like junk food music. Yeah, it can be hooky and, and can be kind of interesting, but usually the lyrics are very bad for your brain and, and the things that you're – if you think of it like a mantra, which I do – then uh, it's it's definitely not doing you any favors when you're singing some of these refrains, uh, especially for for some of the modern songs, but even you know songs that have been out there for a long time. So I encourage people to find a lot of instrumental music. That's what I tend to listen to most of the time, especially if I'm doing something else, like if I'm writing or if I'm reading or watching something with words. You don't want those words clashing with each other. And to your point, I think it is. It, it's a shame that people don't spend more time with only audio like they used to. Because for many, many decades, this was the thing, right? Like the whole family would gather around the radio or before that, or gather, gather around the crazy aunt who played the piano, who led the songs for everyone to sing. You know, it, it was very participant. Everyone got involved back in the day. But now more and more, we're, we're just all on our own and we're all segmented and we only like jazz or we only like classical or we only like rap. And, uh, all these classifications are new too. So rhythm and music and, and the ability to listen actively is a skill that can be built if, if you want to learn an instrument. It's, I mean, some are harder or, or easier than others, but it's worth it for almost everyone to give it a little shot and, and see if you can spend some part of your day creating instead of consuming and also exploring to, to see what some of the classics might be or some of the classics from other countries that uh, are just absolutely amazing and, and like giving your brain a bath when you listen to them as opposed to, you know, it, it, if you look back at the movies from prior decades, we've been just dredging the 70s and the 80s because all the modern movies are trash. And a lot of the same is true with music. Like, the best music ever is still going to be the best music ever when you listen to it. So go dig it up. And it does take a little bit of, of work and time, but it's worth it to – you get to decide what goes into your ears and your brain, not the algorithm because the algorithms are, are terrible. One other piece of advice that I would, I would recommend to almost everyone out there as much as I'm not a fan of Spotify, Apple, and, and some of these other big companies, pay them – the $5 or the $15 or whatever it is to not have to listen to ads every 10 or 15 minutes and be interrupted with some nonsense. Like if you want to listen to music, I, it's so funny. I know a bunch of millionaires I've met at their house and it's just like all of a sudden they get this ad for like Walgreens in the middle of listening, spa, relaxing spa music or something, you know, like every other life. Then all of a sudden, burp, 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 burp. so like pay the five bucks to Pandora, whatever it is. And, uh, and that will be a treat to yourself to just not have to deal with that anymore. I love that. Yeah, that's great advice. <laughs> this conversation has been so much fun and so full of great advice. If somebody were to walk away from this with just one thing, what, what would be one simple tip you'd like to leave with the listener from this conversation? Don't keep looking for the next magic bullet or the great answer. The, the answers are there. It all lies on building your daily practice and then just doing the work. And that becomes easier and easier over time. I love that. I, I love that part of your message. I love that you place the responsibility on the individual, but you also say that it is worth it. it this, is, this is your responsibility, but it's also your privilege, and you can learn things as you go. You can refine as you go, and it, it's your life. It's your energy. It's your passion. It's your service. It's how you show up in the world for, for you know, those you love and those around you. And I, I just could not agree more that it's such it's such a great thing to investigate and keep going and keep searching and be really honest with yourself and be willing to be right about certain things and be wrong about other things and leave them in the past. It's great. Yeah, it's cool to be wrong and adapt and, and change. We all have to do that from time to time. And if you look at the, the top-down recommendations, they have certainly not been wrong. I mean, they've been obviously wrong so many times that they're not shy about it and they have no qualms about, you know, like making corrections. So we all don't have to be perfect either. And it's okay to, uh, do something for a while, feel like you may have made a mistake in retrospect and honor that and learn from that. That's how we all move forward. I love that. That's fantastic. Abel James, where would you like to send people so they can find you in your work? Yeah. The best place to find me is probably going to be fatburningman.com, And you can find the, the new wild challenge app there as well. And then for the, the music and, and 
virtual reality tours and other crazy projects, ablejames.com is going to be the best for that. That's A-B-E-L james.com. Nice. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so very much for your time today, for all the work that you've gone through, for all the challenges that you've overcome, and for shining that beacon of light outward. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Your work is very successful and has helped a lot of people, including myself. Um, I love your message of positivity and, and refinement over time. And the song, the song that you wrote, Live While You're Alive, you embody that message so well. It's just super inspiring. And we're just so grateful for you and everything you've done and that you take the time to be on our show. Right on. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's like soul food when you say things like that, because it does feel lonely and and hard out there sometimes. And it is a grind for anyone who's, you know, making podcasts. They know that. But uh, yeah, hearing that from you and, and having people like you have an honest conversation that flows so easily, you know, it's clear that you're doing such great work over there. I just really appreciate it. This is this is why I do it too. It's just really rewarding to share it with other people yeah, who, it, who are doing. It totally is. I mean, if, if reaching an entire population is going to be tough, but if it helps one person, that's all worth it. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you. Absolutely appreciate you too. Thanks for coming on. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio.